This podcast is brought to you by Giant Food. And today, more than ever, they are committed to you because we are all in this together so we can continue to share the little things that matter. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Peace, everyone, and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting live from the lobby of The Line, D.C. This podcast is where dynamic people of color in the food and agriculture space share their personal food journeys, passions, and perspectives that stem from the land, all exemplifying the spirit of activism in their own edible way. Let's get started. And welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting here on Full Service Radio. So I have a special guest today, Amanda Stevenson, who is the founder of the Fresh Food Factory in Southeast D.C., which is a market and social enterprise that engages low to moderate income residents in Ward 8. Amanda is a farm girl growing up on her family's land in Virginia but then she made her way down to DC where she is rooted in Anacostia. And as the first female owned, black owned, healthy and ethnic food market in Southeast DC, Amanda is dedicated to providing nourishing options for her community. Welcome to Edible Activist, Amanda. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Did I do that intro right, girl? (laughs) You did. I, you haven't skipped or missed a beat. And I think you took a lot of my talking points. Because yes. <laughs> I have to make sure I got it right. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, because, you know, a sister doing a daggone thing. I just want to make sure that my acknowledgments are on point and that I don't, I don't skip a beat because you are doing so many great things. And, you know, I've had the the privilege of being in your space a couple times. And most recently, the wonderful DPR event that um, our homegirl Kamari Norman did and that entire panel and just showcasing some of the foods from your market and chefs and which we'll get into all of that. But anyway, I'm just so happy to have you on the show. And um, definitely, you know, this is, this is an opportunity to learn more about Amanda's, you know, background and and her journey to where she is now. Because as I said before, I know you're from Virginia and um, you are living in DC where you have your market and everything, but definitely just want to want you to take us back because I know you grew up on a farm and, you know, just want, want you to just walk us through that journey, like growing up in Virginia and what that was all like and um, being with your family. Wow. Yes. I think, you know, growing up a on a farm, everybody knows usually um, it's arduous work. There's a lot that has to be done. 
And I grew up on an animal farm. Most of everything that we had was game. So you had a lot of ducks, pheasants, guineas, turkeys, chickens, any kind of duck you think of. We had it. Um, Also, too, we had horses. We had goats. We had a lot of different things. And my father um, had his children, all of us, active in the operation and upkeep of the farm. So it was a lot of work from school, starting before you go to school, you have to wake up when the chickens crow and the rooster crows and, you know, get things prepared before you go off. And a lot of that um, fell on us because he was blind um, for the majority of my life, not just legally blind, but totally blind. And he uh, would definitely say he was a, a challenging man. Anybody who knew him could attest to that. But um, that transferred in a lot of aspects of his life. I think he even was so challenging that he challenged death. And um, I say that because um, when I was young, I think I was around the age of 10, he was uh, given the prognosis of having terminal cancer. And they gave him six months to a year to live. And uh, we found out in church, he gave that testimony. He was just talking about it. But he then told his doctors, nobody could tell me my life expectancy. That's between me and my maker. And Mm -hmm. yes, from that faith that he had, he like surpassed that expectancy by like 18 years. He passed in 2008. And it was just uh, amazing to see his transformation. He he challenged that thing. He willed it into existence. He passed the morning of his birthday. He told all of us to come. But uh, just saying that to say someone who's that challenging, it's uh, something to kind of deal with because we didn't really have um, room to kind of make up a reason why because anything that you could think of was not a reason it was kind of like an excuse it's kind of like if I could do it I'm blind and I have cancer oh yeah and gout um if I could get out here and do it you could do it so I think he gave me or instilled that can do will do no exception spirit um and I think sort of like if you want change to happen you have to get out and make it happen yes you have to have faith faith in God and he's willed you or things in you and you got to kind of like will things into existence. We have to be the change that we want to see. So whatever it is that we have endeavored, we have to live that out and we can't really succumb to a lot of conditions and labels and things that are placed upon us. So just growing up in that um, family structure of work and uh, discipline and routine and getting up, I'm like, I'm on the first train out of here. I'm going off to college. And once I go to college, I am never going back. So um, it's just <laughs> how life kind of like sets you up is just, I just see that as preparation for my life. I never thought that I would be like returning back to farming. And it, it just showed me like the power of faith. It showed me the power of food. I just forgot to mention, you know, um, a lot of what he had to do to help match that faith was make lifestyle changes. He had to, of course, change his diet, how he ate, um, what we had on a farm. So we did like some light vegetation in conjunction with all of the animals that we had. Um, and also like, you know, he just started like more intentional, 
um, exercises and things. And we have to tell him, hey, lift your foot up here, do this, do that, whatever. He will get out, out there and do it with some instruction. So it's a lot of God and a lot of us and a lot of um, doing um, what's naturally good for you to um, see whatever change that you want to come into fruition. Wow. So dad had to have been a total, total, total inspiration. There were, there were no days off. He said, if I can do it, you can do it. Yes. That was his mentality. And he took that kind of attitude everywhere he went. Basically, he was just um, wanting us to, I guess, do the same. He he didn't really accept less from anybody. So, <laughs> and that was part of um, why a lot of people thought he was challenging too. Wow. Wow. Now, where exactly in Virginia, Amanda? I grew up in a small town um, called Surrey, one blinking light in the middle of the town. It wasn't a stop light or any of that. It wasn't that much traffic or congestion. But uh, when I'm telling people about it, because they probably have heard of Surrey, England before they've heard of Surrey, Virginia, I always give them the reference of Wimsburg or Newport News or Smithfield. People know like Smithfield, you know, products, their ham or Gwaltney. So we were more like, um, we even had like a festival for the town. It was a pork, peanut and pine festival. So pretty much everyone was a farmer or it was like a nod to that because that's what the area was known for. Though small, um, Smithfield was more of a prominent and more known town. And that was mainly because of um, the hogs and um, the peanuts that were grown there. Well, okay. So I always, I, I laugh at my mom. We joke about it all the time. My mom is from an extremely small town in Alabama called Butler and we chuckle because there was one one light with a four-way stop sign hanging up in the air and one like jailhouse to the left and everything else is dirt road. But that's where she grew up and that's where and she loved growing up in Alabama. So when I hear about those small towns, I always have to think back to where my mom grew up and it sounds very much alike. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so you went off to school and then did that journey lead you directly to DC after school where you started the fresh food factory? Well, I would say no. My ideal was New York. I went to undergrad uh, for commercial art, graphic design. Um, Everybody um, in my family, my siblings, everybody like draws, write, create. But I think a lot of that comes to... um, and I uh, am talking about my father a lot, my mom too. I think she was more of a nurturing spirit. Um, and I, uh, my father used to, when he did, he used to write with his right hand, draw with his left because he was naturally left-handed. But his siblings, he has two remaining. Three were, one just passed um, a couple weeks ago. And they he had three sisters still remaining and they were all in their 90s. So he has two sisters that are 92. And all of them write and all of them would create. So I do have like some ceramic pieces that were made by one of my aunts who's uh, still here at 92 and very lucent. So right now we're planning the ceremony for her sister, which will be tomorrow. But just saying that to say um, art has been something that has been in my family 
is a generational thing. And I went to school for it because, you know, fine arts is great. And that's something that I could do too. But in going to school, when I did, it was just more uh, opportunity. They say um, when you take art and make it digital. So um, I went to school for commercial art, graphic design at Virginia State University. And that is a land grant university. And from my tenure and relationships there, I was able to reconnect to the university, which then had come, I think back in 2016, they came up here. And what we did was we um, were able to assemble some hydroponic systems to kind of like help people to learn how to grow using hydroponic systems. And they're um, definitely willing to come back up as we implement more programming in the growth space, um, along with like local farmers, UDC and et cetera. So, um, my initial plan was not to come to DC and it was not to, I guess, work in farming. It was in the arts and New York was definitely my idea because if not going to London or somewhere like that, New York is the place for like fashion, crafting, and like design work. So I went there for an internship, but um, I landed here in DC after my internship ended and made DC my home. Wow. Well, having lived in New York City myself in three boroughs, I, I can completely understand why that, you know, that's the that's the artistry mecca, music mecca, the mecca of, of creative. So I completely, completely understand. So the fresh food factory what how did you come to you know this to to launching you know um this entire enterprise in in wanting to offer up something different to um ward 8 you know those in in ward 8 and surrounding areas in in, in the DMV sure um when i moved here i moved here i think 2002. And since I lived in different parts of the city and I did some work east of the river and I started a nonprofit back in 2003. And in that, I wanted to better people's circumstances, better their quality of life by addressing certain disparities that I saw and health being one of them. So under the auspices of my nonprofit, I would create different businesses so people could walk through training through the nonprofit and walk into opportunities to increase their quality of life, such as the fresh food factory, such as other things that had stemmed from the nonprofit. Um, But in 2007, 2008, the market happened and, you know, you know, your assets went underwater and I had to start working for um, another entity and I put my nonprofit on the back burner. But, um, you know, all these years later, still doing work um, with the company that I was working for, but just just seeing other issue in community, seeing other things that we need to do, certain things that were promised that hadn't changed. A lot of people just felt like they couldn't. They couldn't obtain optimum health, that they couldn't um, afford opportunity, that they'll never be able to actually own a home. There's a certain level of mentality, certain level of labor, certain, what you know, the disadvantaged labor that I think a lot of us, um, we have adopted because we've seen the impacts generationally. We've seen um, our parents or maybe our grandparents or our immediate surrounding, or that's the messaging that we have subscribed to. And um, from my father's walk and from 
different things that he had attained prior to becoming blind and had his bout of cancer. Uh, prior to that, you know, though African-American in, um, in, in, I would say the South, because that's Virginia, he would tell us tales of, you know, um, you know, the ownership of property being taken by eminent domain and other things happening that dissuaded or um, hindered or hampered a lot of prosperity for African-Americans. But in spite of how um, he took certain avenues or he tried to address things a certain way or still had a, a positive outlook, I think, you know, a lot of that, um, a lot of people hadn't been exposed to. Maybe they didn't have someone to have that diehard mentality to kind of say, it doesn't matter what somebody else says, or don't think like that. You have to change your thinking or keep this thinking at the forefront so you don't succumb to the pressures or the environment or news, for instance, what we're going through now, or whatever it may be. It's just no matter what obstacle you can achieve, you can attain. And I guess his belief in making the perceived impossible possible is um, one um, that I have adopted. And I'm not going to say it's it's easy, but I am going to say, you know, as life um, goes and we grow, um, I have learned um, the messaging um, that he's been trying to teach all the more. Wow. Your dad had that language. I mean, he had the experience and he was certainly all about ownership and he knew the power of Black ownership and the wealth that we've always created for a very long time, for centuries, you know, just in what we built and what we built. And so, you know, um, as I was doing your introduction, I was totally intentional about it because, well, I'm always intentional, (laughs) but also really just wanting to frame who you are and just, you know, just capturing what you've built because in, in Southeast DC and in, in East of the river, um, which, you know, there's, uh, um, you know, a, a lot of not necessarily play, but we have the, the issue of food access, um, you know, ownership, entrepreneurship, and just what, isn't available to us um, or at, at proximity. Um, but, you know, with the Fresh Food Factory, it's more than just a market and you're intentional about, you know, um, letting people know that this isn't just a market. We were also, this is this is a market with ethnic foods as well. So foods, you know, this is more than just coming, you know, to get a, a, a bag of rice. Like we have a variety you know, so really just want you to break down like the products that you have at this market and wanting that to be accessible to the community as well. Sure. I want to finish the last question because I thought about it more. I'm like, she did ask a specific question, but I wanted to make sure, you know, I'm answering that too. So, um, yes, you know, a lot of the inspiration had started from my father and started from seeing eels and addressing the eels or, um, um, the thought um, from community is we've been wanting change for so long. And I think a lot of times, you know, the big box stores aren't going to come. If they were going to come, they would have. And I don't think that capital should be like the only motivator. It should be, you know, social for the betterment of people. And I think too, a lot of times someone from the community could be as prosperous. They could know, 
same or similar information, but they just need to be capitalized. They need to be supported. But someone who's a part of the fabric of the community, someone who's truly caring for the community and want the best for the community may be like the better persons to address community ills, especially food. And seeing the um, benefits that my father had, I knew like I couldn't come in with like white sugar, white flour, a lot of different things that were inferior if I wanted superior outcomes. So mm-hmm. I had to have a lot of processed food, but come in with, uh, you know, fresh options. And if I do have processed or if I do have box cereal, if I do have whatever I have, because I do like to snack, I am going to say, I would have better options. So I think not just pushing a diet, not just saying you need to do X, Y, and Z. I think people need to have more informed um they need to have more information. So, and they need to have access. So, access is a part of it. We have healthy foods. Everything in there is a nod to better health, healthier options. We have a lot of products that are made by um, local purveyors. And of course, again, like you mentioned, we have ethnic foods. As we know, we have a lot of medicinal properties and food that are grown in other countries around the world, East, whatever. A lot of uh, 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 countries in Africa, uh, Middle Eastern countries, um, the islands, um, they're not represented on the main shelves of a lot of the big box stores. When you go down to international aisles, you don't really see foods that are indigenous to those areas and regions, but a lot of them are healing foods. So I wanted to bring that to uh, residents who may not have been familiar but also, too, D.C. is a melting pot. We have a lot of different people from Nigeria, Ethiopia, um, Trinidad, um, you name it. A lot of us are here, but they can't really find food that are, you know, foods that are indigenous to the areas that they're from. So they may send um, monies off to kind of like pay for it to be shipped over here if they can. Or they may go off to Maryland or some parts of Virginia to actually acquire foods that are not readily available in their community. And I too felt like an immigrant, not just me, but a lot of people who are in Ward 7 and 8. We get together, we have family meetings, we talk about different things that we want to see in our community and just the hope and the promise and what could be. But instead of waiting for someone else to come, it's just like, you know, I just felt that, you know what? I could definitely do that myself because it's so much of a need here. And we all feel like immigrants. We have to go across a bridge for a better quality of life, especially when it comes to our health, Um, when it comes to health care, when it comes to food, you name it. Um, I think we suffer because access hasn't been here historically. So I definitely wanted um, to see change made, but it it was taking too long. So again, I think that, you know, a lot of times we have to be that agent of change that we want to see. All right, folks, we're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Perfect Day, produced by Artists Authentic. For more of Authentic's work, visit allornothingstudios.com. This 
podcast is brought to you by Giant Food. Whether you are concerned about diabetes, heart health, losing weight, or just want to improve family meal times, Giant has a team of nutritionists ready to help you make the best decisions to meet your health and wellness goals. You can check out their personalized consultations online or by phone. Just go to giantfood.com nutrition, or they have nutritionists who are available to answer any of your questions at nutrition at giantfood.com. So Amanda, one of the things that um, really stood out to me, well, actually, let me go back. So you were a part of um, a summit last year. It was the Chesapeake Food Summit that took place in in Washington, D.C. And um, I so very much enjoyed um, your story. And that's, you know, I pull, I extracted a lot from that. And that's how I got to know just a little bit, a little bit more about you and your story. And one of the things that really jumped out, and we talked, we talked about this just briefly, you know, earlier in the show, um, was about black entrepreneurship and, and wealth. And, um, you know, with the fresh food, you know, factory, um, which obviously, you know, you, you, you didn't want to wait for change. Like you, like you said, you needed to be that agent of change and something needed to happen now, but also there's the entrepreneurial side to it. And, you know, one of the things that really stood out and please correct me if, cause I know I'm probably not going to phrase frame this in, in the most um, accurate way, but you said that black businesses have been GMO'd genetically modified for a very long time. And especially in places like DC where things, prices are increasing and black, you know, owners of restaurants and businesses, you know, aren't able to hold on to their properties or able to hold on to um, family businesses because they're being priced out. And um, the decline, you know, of these businesses in what was predominantly pre- predominantly black neighborhoods, and so definitely just want to touch on the entrepreneurial and wealth building side, you know, to having a business, especially when it comes to our real estate and owning the block, um, and taking and taking care of our our taking care of our people, you right. know. So that really stood out to me. I was like, whoo. I was fanning in a crowd, fanning. <laughs> You're hilarious. I definitely uh, say, just looking at statistics, where they talked about like the life expectancy of residents of Ward 7 and 8, and the business life expectancy parallel to that. So we have to look at all of this as health disparity. Yes, health is, yes, food is, but wealth is too. Our ownership of things and black businesses have been so essential. They have been the fabric to our community. Parents, our grandparents before the seventies happened, before crack happened, before a lot of that, we were owning a lot and we were doing well, very well. But um, of course we've seen a lot of change um, over the past decades. And I'm not going to say we shouldn't have certain businesses or it shouldn't be a mix, but I am going to say the help has been disproportionate. It hasn't been in the favor of 
a lot of the minorities. And I am not going to say this is from me. I'm not going to say that this is a fact. And I am not going to say that, you know, statistics won't back me up. I would definitely say, just look at the news, whether we're talking about recent helps, whether we talk about ownership in general, it hasn't been because blacks are lazy. It hasn't been because of, um, just one thing. I just think that whether it's um, reaching somebody through messaging and helping them to understand that they can, because generationally they have been told that they couldn't. Um, We haven't been getting a lot of um, supports when it comes to technical assistance at the level of other communities. Um, We have been undercapitalized or we can't get capital, capital because of whatever the situation may have been, but there are a lot of systematic or systemic issues um, that definitely need to be addressed for us to have healthy communities. And um, ownership is definitely key. So uh, the Fresh Food Factory, we have products on our shelves and a lot of them are renowned brands that you get from a distributor. But uh, we do have a a great percentage of those that are made by locals, and those locals are minority businesses. So we see the Fresh Food Factory is not only a place to actually grow um, as it relates to your health, but grow as it relates to your wealth. So creating an economy where people could actually come in and um, see their product on the shelf and somebody is going to buy that product. Not only does that better the person who is um, the patron and they're taking a, a locally made product home with healthy ingredients, but that's giving that business owner um, monies back that they could have to make sure that they have longevity. And um, fighting for shelf space has been an issue a lot uh, for small local minority businesses, as we know. And really having um, your brand and like foods represented in a market where it hasn't been historically is sometimes challenging. I think now, you know, as we cry out a little bit more and say, hey, well, where are we? I think we've been heard recently, but I think, you know, it's been far too long that that had happened. But I definitely see going back to um, what we've done originally. Um, we started out as an incubator. That's what the name came from, the Fresh Food Factory. It's uh, a place where people are making healthy, fresh products um, for communities. So um, we were creating a whole food ecosystem. So not only did you have um, a place that you were just making the products, but you had an area in which, you know, you had some products growing. So um, through hydroponic systems and we had raised beds, you could get, you know, growth, you would get your leafy greens, you would get different things like that. So teaching community how to be sufficient, how to be resilient, how to be engaged in the educational process. That's a lot of what we like to do, not only offer food access, but offer education. So it's very important, especially in these times, to kind of know how to grow food. So that's one thing I would definitely say, be educated on how to grow your own. Um, Whether it's just in your community, you know, if everybody is growing different things, you can have a barter system, you can have a pay system, but everybody survives. Everybody um, is able to kind of like share and have better options. There are a lot of things um, in the concept of the Fresh Food Factory um, that will bring uh, together a healthy community. Um, And also, too, 
the kitchen space, the prep space. Um, we had a uh, kitchen space and that's something that we are looking to move into again. So again, we could create that whole food ecosystem, closing a loop on it and making sure that and, and two, making sure that everybody can have access to foods. So we understand certain foods may um, be pricey for some people, but we do accept EBT. And also, too, um, we eliminate food waste and uh, we donate um, foods from the store to our nonprofit, the one that I uh, mentioned to you that I started back in 2003. And we're able to collect um, other foods from different contributors along the food chain to give it out to people um, whose checks or benefits don't um, stretch throughout the whole month. So people are able to come and get healthier food options. Um, So that's something that we made a priority um, since starting the market in May. And it's something that we are still doing now while we um, have this pandemic happening, we've been um, offering Corona care packages or boxes um, to um, residents um, so they can have access because as we know, um, sometimes it could be challenging for a lot of people to get access. Wow. Amanda, you are loaded. Y'all are loaded with good stuff. Good stuff. Oh, I love hearing all of this. I love it. I love it. I love it. So what is the future of the fresh food um, factory? You are such a visionary, Amanda. And I know that you are also just loaded with ideas and and plans and just a bigger vision. Not that you need to break all that down for us because your vision is your vision. But, you know, what what is the future of the fresh food food fresh food factory? Um, one thing that we've done, we started 2019 kind of piloting it and just seeing if people are truly interested. And as we know, they are, um, is doing like BMI, body mass index, um, diet and DNA, as well as, um, metabolic, metabolic testing. (laughs) (laughs) So we know like everybody is different. And we could just say, hey, you know what? These are the numbers that we're getting based on the assessment given. So we're doing that at the market too. So we could have a reference to actually start to kind of say, hey, Melissa, based on what we're getting, maybe if you consume more of this or less of this, and maybe if you do these types of exercises, then you'll get to your optimum health. We have these alkaline products. We have whatever it may be. Um, to kind of like help you to come up with a routine that's good for you. So that's definitely something that we are looking at it growing a great deal because we know the people who've been affected and the communities that have been affected by Corona, a lot of them, majority of them have been black and brown communities. And a lot of that is contributed to the lack of resources, lack of healthy foods, poor immune system, pre-existing conditions, but where do they stem from? Poor immune system and the inability to fight them off because of we have inferior foods in our communities and we don't really have a proper uh, defense. So instead of focusing on disease and issue, or we don't have this in our community, again, we have to be that change agent. We have to focus on health. How can we do it? If it has to happen and we have to be the one 
we have to do that. So I think, you know, um, that's definitely something um, that we're going to um, keep at the forefront as we move um, throughout these next few months into the fall. Um, but we're looking at expanding, to say the least. We're looking at uh, more locations for our markets, as well as including the farming, as well as the kitchen space, the prep space for our um, small business members back into um, a lot of our programming. We still offer um food education because um, you can have access, but a lot of people may not know how to prepare certain foods, may not know the benefits of them by uh, sharing that type of information. And even cooking classes has been something that we've worked at uh, since opening the market back in two uh, last year. And also letting people taste through those things, through that education, through that exposure, people then say, yes, this is definitely something that tastes good. I didn't know how it tasted. Oh yes, it could be made easy. And I think a lot of times, um, we fall prey to a lot of misnomers or a lot of, um, negative um, talk about a thing, um, whether it be a navy bean or uh, jackfruit, it may it may not smell as great, but just knowing the benefit, how to flavor it, or chickpeas, uh, yes, you know, people may see that as a bean, but do you know as a substitute? Do you know how to use this? Have you tasted uh, teff flour, or do you understand you, we always um, hear about jambalaya and a lot of us have tasted it, but you know, it comes from West Africa and jollof rice. And, you know, it was a lot of culture and a lot of, um, agriculture and a lot of preparation, um, in our education that we offer. So we definitely see the importance of that, the benefit that, uh, we've seen thus far and knowing is something that should be handed down generationally. And some people could say, you know, if they grew up in certain areas, maybe their parents didn't grow up, didn't have access, don't know how to prepare. They may have like one parent in the household and they don't have time to prepare. So they're getting um, these box meals or whatever. And it, it, it is just not a great contributor to um, our health and our immunity. So um, I think we've fallen somewhat, um, but there's always hope. And um, now is a perfect time for a fresh and a new start. Amanda, where can folks find you at? How can they connect with you? Um, They can connect with us. The website is The Fresh Food Factory. And we have social media presence. We are on Instagram and Facebook is The Fresh Food Factory. Facebook is The Fresh Food Factory Farm and Food Hub. And also, too, you could call me. My number is 202-744-1873. That's the number to um, the market. And um, people have been calling to place orders um, in this time as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So yes, reach out, place orders, support. I still need to make it out, Amanda. I still need to make it out there. I I, I need to make it out to a fresh food um, factory. So, um, but no, this has been a pleasure, but I'm not going to let you go too quickly because I got a few rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what is your favorite veggie? Um, Asparagus. Oh my gosh, someone just said that. Okay, awesome. <laughs> what is your favorite fruit? Mango. Mm, yes. All right. So sweet, spicy, sour, salty, or bitter? It's always sweet. All right now. 
Lastly, one action step anyone can take right now to take control of their health. Education and grow your own. In her words, thank you again, Manda. I really appreciate you. This has been wonderful. And thank you all for listening and peace. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We are here live on Full Service Radio every Wednesday at 11 a.m., where you can catch today's episode on fullserviceradio.org, as well as iTunes and Spotify. Be sure to follow me at Food Talks in Color on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Are you an edible activist? Sure you are. Come join me on the show. I would love to feature you. Just shoot me a DM on the gram. Peace and blessings all. And remember, there is no culture without agriculture.